Thank you so much. It's so fun to, to get to speak to you guys. I'm used to a microphone usually, so I'll have to really fight. If you can't hear me say something, okay, let me know. Before I get started, I wanna, I'm gonna move this because I tend to pace around a little bit. So um, before I get started, I wanted to, to introduce somebody to you. This is my wife, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is my best friend and my adventure partner, and I married way over my head. Um, so I'm really grateful that she's here to support me tonight. She, uh, we've been married for 33 years, gonna be 34 years this summer, so. <clears throat> I'm glad she's here. Um, you know, when my son was little, a baby, we had a monitor in his room. Uh, it was definitely not one of the high-tech video monitors where you could like see it over the internet or anything. This was strictly an old school, shortwave radio, you know, audio only kind of a monitor. Uh, it actually was a hand-me-down to us, so it was pretty ancient when, it, when we got it. But it did the trick. When he was a baby, if he cried, we could hear him and we'd go in and take care of him. Um, as time passed and he got older, um, we, we didn't really need the monitor anymore when he was more like this age, because um, he was old, he was just across the hall and he could get up and come get us if he needed us. But he was the kind of kid that when he woke up in, in the, the morning, he would just kind of jabber to himself, start talking right away. And it was just so adorable just to hear him, his little running monologue going on. So we left it in there. <clears throat> there was um, a time, you know, definitely over time, as all kids are, um, he would be resistant to us sometimes. And if we'd ask him to do something and he'd say, no. And we'd say, you know, no, Sam, you can't say no to mommy. You have to do what she says. You can't say no to mommy and daddy. And so uh, I remember one time we were in bed listening and he woke up and he started his little monologue going on talking and it was just so sweet. And then his voice changed just a little bit and it was still adorable, but it was this little aggressive voice. And he started going, no, 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 no. And we started laughing. He was in the privacy of his room. He was trying out the forbidden word. You know, it was actually in his little two-year-old mind, he was cursing his head off at that moment. <laughs> um, one day I remember when he was probably closer to three, we, um, it, somehow in conversation, I think he just came to understand that we could hear him over the monitor. And, and I think it was the next day I walked in his room and it's like the monitor was gone. And I asked Rebecca, I said, Rebecca, did you take the monitor out? She said, no, and so I went in and I searched around and he had unplugged it from the wall, kind of wadded it up, threw it at the back of his closet and slammed the door shut on it. <laughs> he was tired of his parents eavesdropping on him. Uh, he did not want to be listened to. It's probably not an uncommon kind of thing. Um, how many people here own an iPhone? Raise your hand. Oh, lots of iPhone people, okay. If you got your iPhone, take it out right now want you to hold it up in front of your face and on the count of three we are all going to say the magic words hey Siri okay ready one two three hey Siri did any did yours come on mine didn't how many raise your hand if yours came on maybe it overwhelmed mine with so many voices they were like that can't be for me um, so yeah, that little um, kind of weird, whatever that is, a crystal ball shows up on your phone when you do that. And, and I guess that's the symbol that Siri, your servant, is ready to, to serve you at this moment. 
Um, now, we realize that the only reason that works is because something is listening. And it's waiting for that, that little phrase to come up, those two words in sequence. Now, I think we've mostly all gotten used to that. You know, we're just like, okay, whatever, it's listening. Um, but it is a little bit creepy. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where maybe you're sitting on a couch and you're talking to a friend and you're explaining how you love, I don't know, flaming hot Cheetos more than Takis or something like that. And then later in the day, when you go to search something, the very first ad is for flaming hot Cheetos or Takis. And it's a little creepy, you know, you start thinking, hmm. I heard that, that if you search for different products on Amazon, even if you don't put them in your, your uh, shopping cart, um, the Amazon computer will look to see if that product is in a warehouse somewhere close to you. And if it's not, they will ship it from sometimes across the country and have it in that warehouse so that when you do order it, it'll get there fast. They have some kind of algorithm that says, if you search a certain number of times, the odds that you're gonna buy that are very high. So now I just search for really big items like steamrollers and bass boats and stuff, just to mess with them. <laughs> Actually, I don't do that, but I, I, I would if I was that kind of person. Um, I've noticed that when I, get, when I get in my car, my phone kind of predicts where it thinks I'm going to go. And it, it has learned my schedule and it knows that on this day, at this time, you usually go here. So I'm gonna tell you how far it is and how long it'll be. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say that it often tells me where Dutch Bros is. <laughs> and I think, oh, I go there way too often. I laugh when I see it. Uh, but it is a little bit creepy. You know, tons of movies now play really on that anxiety that we feel about having a big entity, something like a company or a government, knowing so much about us. It's one of the main themes of thrillers in recent years. You know, on some level, I think we all kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that someone knows nearly everything about us. Um, you've been talking about um, the truth about God, learning about qualities about God. And uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about the omniscience of God, the fact that God knows everything. God knows everything about everything. And I, I want to make the argument tonight that I, that is actually a really good thing for us. That, you know, the fact that uh, that God knows everything is actually a really good thing. It's probably a bad thing that maybe a multinational corporation or a government or your neighbor across the hall knows everything about you. That's probably bad. But the fact that God knows everything about us is a really good thing. Um, it's not a bad thing that someone knows everything. It just has to be the right someone. Uh, tonight, I want to share with you three reasons why God's omniscience is a really, really, really good thing. Why don't you pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, we are just so glad to be together tonight. We're glad to hear whatever it is that, that you wanna share through me, God. Help me to say only the things you want me to say, not more or not less. Um, I'm trusting you in this moment and I'm so grateful for this group of people that are gathered tonight. Uh, we're grateful that you are with us as you always are. We love you and pray this in Christ's name, amen. The first reason that omniscience, God's omniscience is a good thing is that God sees you. God sees you. 
Um, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't pull its punches. It shows its heroes warts and all. Uh, it never tries to gloss over sometimes some epic failures that the heroes have had. You know, in the book of Genesis, which is at the beginning of your Bible, it tells a story of a man named uh, Abram, later going to be called Abraham, and his wife, Sarai, later going to be called Sarah. Um, and they had been promised by God that they would have children. And in fact, they would have so many descendants that they couldn't count them. But as time passed and they kept aging, children did not come. So Sarai had this idea and she told her husband to sleep with her Egyptian servant girl named Hagar and that they could have children through her. Now, this was not God's plan. It was not. Um, in, but like so many of us, when we get impatient, we start to uh, improvise and we disregard God's wisdom. And it never works out well, as, as we'll see in this story. Um, Hagar becomes pregnant and immediately she starts to rub it in with her boss, Sarai, to make her feel bad for not being able to have children. And, uh, and then Sarai immediately retaliates and starts making Hagar's life really terrible, treats her harshly, makes her so miserable, in fact, that as a pregnant woman, she runs away from home out into the wilderness. Um, and while she's seated by a, a well, God, in his kindness, sends an angel to talk to her and to encourage her. Um, he, call, he tells her that she's going to give birth to a son and that she should call him Ishmael, which means God hears, God hears, and that she would be blessed with many descendants. He then tells her to go back to her household and obey her mistress, Sarai. In Genesis 16, 13, it tells us that thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Hagar calls God the God who sees her. Her name for God emphasizes, I think that this is an amazing and wondrous thing. You know, the fact that God being who God is would pay attention, would notice her being who she is. And more than just notice her, that he would actually see her, see her in her circumstance, see her for who she is. And that just blows her away. It's a wondrous thing to her. Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm in all the Bible. Um, and it, it, to me, really expresses a little bit of this same kind of wonder that, that Hagar felt. It begins with this. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. God sees us and knows us completely. Um, in 1959, a social psychologist uh, by the name of Irving Goffman first formulated what has been come to be known as self-presentation theory, which really in a nutshell is the idea that we are all always trying to control how other people see us. 
we're constantly on guard and to some extent trying to manage what we're showing to the people around us. Um, 60 years ago, Goffman studied how that happened in one-on-one -on -one kind of relationships with each other, how people tried to control the various ways in which people would, would see them and judge them. Now we do that in person, but now we also do it on social media. You know, I think about sometimes how many people in a given day are sad and, and, and maybe angry or lonely or struggling in some really deep way but then they stop to take a smiling selfie and post some picture of themselves coming from some cool place. You know, we desperately want people to accept us, to admire us, you know, maybe to love us. And so we put on a mask of one type or another and we don't let people often see maybe who we really are. You know, if the image that we're portraying to other people is really different than who we really are, if that gap between that mask and who we really are is a big one, it can just be exhausting in our lives to try to maintain that. And we live in a fear that someone is really gonna see us. Um, John Joseph Powell wrote, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am. And it's all that I have. The awesome thing about God's omniscience is what Hagar discovered. He is the God that sees us. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've ever done, good and bad. He knows everything that you will ever do, good and bad. You know, he knows everything about you, every anxiety every dark thought, everything. And this is the amazing thing. He loves you still. He loves you exactly where you are. Oh, he doesn't love everything that you do, but he loves you and he has a plan for you. He has seen you and known you and loved you since you were in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 again tells us, he says, my frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in the secret place, your eyes saw my unformed body. He saw you then. He sees you now. Um, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells us, the very head, hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. God knows every detail of who you are. He loves you so much that he knows how many hairs are on your head right now. For me, that's not a big count. The wonderful thing about God seeing you is that you don't have to wear a mask with God. If you try to pretend with God, he sees right through it anyway. You can be yourself, really yourself with God and know that he understands and that he loves you where you are. That is really good news. The second wonderful thing about God's omniscience is that God sees the whole. Now, I've never been much of a gamer, I'm afraid, but, um, but years ago when my son was into it, I would play with him sometimes just to do it with him. Um, I remember there were some games where you could choose the view or the way you wanted to play. You could choose and be kind of like the first person shooter view where you're seeing through the eyes of the, the character. 
Uh, other times you could select if you wanted to kind of have this view where you saw your character but you were behind and sometimes maybe above the, the character. Uh, or that some games offered, it's hard to see here, but kind of a, what they called a, a God shot or a God's eye view where you're kind of seeing high above the, the battlefield or whatever is going on. Uh, and you're able to then see maybe what's around a corner. You can see your character, but you can also see what's around the corner, what's coming down the, the road towards you. Uh, movies will sometimes use a similar kind of a thing that they actually call the God shot, where you're looking down maybe from a drone or something, looking at a whole battlefield. Uh, they call this the God shot because it's more than any character in the movie could actually see. So you're able to see something above. They call it the God shot, but if we're talking about God, I mean the real God, God sees so much more than that. God sees the whole. Um, he sees and understands things in ways that you and I cannot begin to fathom. Um, you know, in case you haven't noticed lately, life sometimes doesn't make sense to us. It's often that I look at life and go, what is that about? I don't understand what's going on right now. Life doesn't make sense to us. That was, that's true now, and it's always been true. Uh, when Jesus was here, his disciples again and again would have expectations about life. They would have a view of how life should go that Jesus knew wasn't true. And sometimes he would share with them the truth about what was gonna happen and if it didn't fit their worldview, they would, they would push back against that. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, it tells us, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would rise, be raised from the dead but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus saw clearly that unless he went to the cross and shed his blood as a perfect sacrifice, there would be no hope. No hope of forgiveness, no hope of reconciliation, no hope for heaven, no hope for Peter, no hope for me, no hope for you. But, but wonderfully and thankfully, Jesus knew the plan and he was willing to, and to be faithful and follow through. He gave his life and on the third day, he arose from the dead, just as he said he would, to live forever and because of that gift, you and I have the opportunity to have, have real life, life with grace and hope and love. God's plan didn't make sense to the disciples when they heard it, but later it made sense to them. You know, as we go through life, there are so many things that we just don't understand, but we can trust that the God, the God who loved us enough to die for us, he understands and, and, what we are going through he, he is not surprising to him. It hasn't startled him. It hasn't blindsided him. And we can trust him because he sees the whole. Corey Tinboom is one of my spiritual heroes. If you haven't read her book, The Hiding Place, you need to. It's an amazing book. 
Uh, the movies are okay, take them or leave them, but the book is amazing. Um, it'll change your life. Um, Corey and her family were, were Christians in occupied Holland during World War II when the Nazis were, were there. And they were Christians, but they chose to help uh, Jews who were trying to escape the Holocaust. That's where the title of the book comes from. They provided places for them to hide. Uh, well, their efforts were eventually discovered, and because of that, they as a family ended up in uh, a Nazi concentration camp where they suffered horrible things and, and witnessed unspeakable stuff. Um, at one point, they, in, while they were at this camp called Ravensbrück, which was one of the worst, worst Nazi camps, her sister Betsy, who was her spiritual mentor, said this to her. She said, Corey, when we leave this place, we must go everywhere. And we must tell people that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will believe us, Corey, because we have been here. Sadly, Betsy died in prison. But when Corey was released, she took her sister's words as her marching orders. And she spent the rest of her life traveling the world and telling people about the love of Jesus and his mercy and grace, even in the midst of the darkest circumstances. Um, one of her famous illustrations was that of a tapestry. She would hold up a tapestry of a crown, but she would only show the back of the tap side of the tapestry at first with all its loose strings and, and messiness. And this is what she would say. She would say, does God always grant what we ask for in prayers? Not always. Sometimes he says no. That's because God knows what we do not know. God knows all. Look at this piece of embroidery. The wrong side is chaos. But look at the beautiful picture on the other side, the right side. Um, we see now the wrong side. God sees his side all the time. One day we shall see the embroidery from his side and thank him for every answered and unanswered prayer. And then she says, although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. From our vantage point, life is just often loose strings and randomness, but God sees the whole. You know, sometimes we will come to understand the confusing things in life here, but sometimes we won't. That's where we have to trust. Lee Strobel is a Christian writer, pastor, and professor who uh, started his career as an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Um, I got to the privilege of hearing him speak many years ago, and he told this story. He said that after he'd become a Christian, he was at the paper uh, on one Saturday. It was a day when not many people were around, and he, he was working at his desk, and he knew that there was another reporter on another floor uh, doing some work. So as he was trying to work and concentrate, he just got this strong sense that God wanted him to go down and invite this man to his church. Um, he, he said he didn't usually get those kind of feelings much, but this was just so strong and so specific and clear that he said, okay, God, all right, all right. So he got up and went down stairs to this man and he began to talk to him at his desk and he finally told him about his church and he asked him if he'd like to come and bring his family sometime. 
The man looked at him as if he had offered him something disgusting to eat and just said, no, why would I ever want to do that? So Lee said, oh, okay, well, thanks very much. Uh, if you change your mind, let me know. And kind of just went back shaking his head going, God, what was that about? Uh, well, several years later, uh, Lee had the opportunity to be the speaker at his church. And afterward, a man came up to him who he had never seen before. Um, and the man was smiling, this huge smile, just beaming. And the man said, um, I install tile for a living. And you probably don't remember it, but I was doing some work at the Chicago Tribune a few years ago. On a, on a weekend, I was down on the floor and working and you came in and invited this man to church. Uh, you might not have seen me because I was kind of behind some stuff, uh, but you invited the man and he wasn't interested, but I remembered what you said. You know, my wife and I were going through some really, really dark things, some really difficult stuff, and I was desperate for help. After you left, I got up and I called my wife and I said, we are going to church. And we did, and we committed our life to Christ. And it's made all the difference. Thank you so much. Sometimes God graciously lets us peek at the other side of the, the tapestry. Often though, we don't get to. But we trust that God is in control, that he has a plan. And as we learn to trust him and, and remember how much he loves us and that he's not forgotten about us, we begin to experience joy and peace as we navigate through our life. God sees the whole, and that is really good news for us. The third wonderful thing about God's omniscience is that God sees the end. Uh, you know, I'm kind of actually a, a pretty big movie fan. I really like to watch movies. It's one of my, my favorite things, I think. A few weeks ago, I was gonna pick up my wife at uh, the Sacramento airport. And I was down there and her flight got seriously delayed. It was gonna be a few hours later. So I had all this time to kill. So I thought I'm gonna go to the movies. So I looked up, there was a theater not far from where I was at. And I just went there and walked up and said, what movie's playing and is it the right length of time? So I settled on the movie 65, which is a kind of a Adam Driver space dinosaur movie. Um, <laughs> It was 90 minutes, so it fit my schedule perfectly. Uh, and it was fine, not terrible, not terrific, it was, it was fine. Uh, the thing that was memorable about it for me though was the seating. I had never been in one of these theaters with the, like the full recliners with the electric button. I mean, they just go all the way back. You are literally laying in bed watching a movie. Um, it was nine o'clock on a Tuesday night so there were only a handful of people in the theater, and I was glad for that. Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I feel just even a little bit awkward sharing an armrest with a stranger in a crowded theater. So I can't imagine like laying in bed with them, watching a movie. That would just be really weird for me. So I love those seats, but I, I, don't, I think I'm gonna have to take people I know with me when I go to a movie sometimes. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, the experience before of watching a movie that, maybe a, a suspenseful movie that you've seen before and you're with a friend and they haven't seen it. So as you're going through it, you know what kind of what's coming and so you're not surprised or startled, 
but they're maybe like really jumping and like freaking out as the movie goes on. I remember watching a movie with some of my nieces years ago when they were just little girls. And it was, um, it was a movie for kids, but it had some mild kind of jump scares in it. And the three of them would scream at the top of their lungs. It was hilarious. Um, I had seen the movie you know, a number of times, and so I knew it was coming. Um, occasionally, even now, when Rebecca and I will watch a movie that I've seen before, she'll like turn to me at some point and say, does this turn out okay? Because if it doesn't turn out okay, I am not watching any more of this. And I'll have to say, I reassure, it turns out okay. And because she trusts me, she trusts me because I have seen the end of the movie. The wonderful news for all of us is that God has seen the end of your movie. And if you are his child, it has a happy ending. Psalm 139, again, in verse 16, tells us that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, whatever you go through in your movie, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the long boring parts, the jump scares, whatever twists your plot takes, um, you have the grace of knowing if you've accepted Jesus's gift on the cross, um, you have the wonderful knowledge that your movie ends well. In fact, when the credits roll on your movie here on earth, your real movie is just beginning. Um, the book of Revelation gives us a little sneak preview of what that movie looks like. It says, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And this part is so beautiful to me. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things are gone forever. Someone asked me the other day what I thought heaven was gonna be like. And I told them, I don't know, but I know it is gonna be awesome. You know, I think about uh, all the places here on earth that God has made that I just love. Uh, Yosemite Valley, um, a beach that I love over in Fort Bragg, um, the island of Kauai, places that are just so spectacularly beautiful that they touch my spirit in just a powerful way. I think about all the things that I love to do here on, on earth, um, making music with people that I love and admire, um, making, laughing my head off with my family and with friends, um, traveling places, seeing amazing new things, um, eating amazing food. I love all those things. And they're things that God has provided that bring me joy. And to think that in, in so many words, God is saying, just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. God sees the end of our movie. In fact, he wrote and produced it. God sees the end. And that's a really, really, really good thing. So people, God is omniscient. He knows everything about everything. God sees you. You don't have to pretend with God. You don't have to wear a mask. You get to be fully yourself and know that he loves you where you are. 
God sees the whole. You know, while we see only loose threads and knots, God gets to see the whole beautiful tapestry. And finally, God sees the end. You know, if we are a Christian, we know that whatever twists and turns our, our life takes, that in the end, we all arrive at home. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you are who you are in all of your beauty and majesty and greatness. Father, we are just so grateful that you uh, have loved us and yet you see us. God, we're just, we ask so much that you'd help us, God, to, to remember how great you are and to catch a glimpse of that each and every day as we rise, Father. To not forget how great you are and how much that, that means that you love us and that you care for us for where we are, God. To stand amazed at that difference. We're just, we, we ask for that. God, we ask that you continue to lead in whatever else happens tonight. I pray your blessing on this group of people. God, um, bless their lives. Lead them forward with you. Uh, we love you. We trust you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.